So if you're like me, you had a good Christmas, hopefully you had a decent Christmas, and part of Christmas you get stuff, right? It's just part of it. You get some new stuff, and if you got something new or at least new to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab that worship guide, this big, this piece of paper when you came in, grab that, grab you a pen. I'm going to have you write two words on this. I'll show you what we're going to do here. I want you to write this, old and new. Once you write old on one side, write new on the other side. Or if you don't have one of these, grab a scrap piece of paper, grab your phone, do something because we're going to come back to these two words. That's all we're hitting on today is old and new. Old and new. You get something new. Maybe you got new clothes for Christmas. You got new socks. You got new underwear. You got new toys. Maybe you got some, some new furniture. You got new whatever. We get new stuff. And here's what tends to happen. Now we're faced with a major dilemma. I have something new. I also have a bunch of the old stuff. And the question becomes, where do I put the new stuff? And then the other part of that is, well, what do I do then with the old stuff? And what happened in my family, and it probably happened in yours as well, is when we get new stuff, we need to store our old stuff. So we get all this new stuff, and we're like, well, I can't get rid of the old stuff, so I have to find a place to store it. So then we go out and we buy new bins, don't we? to hold all of our old stuff to make room for our new stuff. And I even tell our kids this. It's like, all right, your playroom's getting full. We're running out of room. So what are we going to do with all the old stuff? And they're like, well, don't get rid of it, Dad, because that's what we try to do as parents. We go through with a trash bag. They find that trash bag and dig through the trash. And so we end up storing all of this old stuff just to make room for our new stuff. And you've got all of this in a garage. You've got all this in maybe an attic, or it's still sitting in your living room right now because you don't know where to put it. We have new things, and we love the idea of new, but we have a really hard time letting go of the old, don't we? We almost have this odd affection towards the old, like, I can't let go of you. I've known you for so, so, so long. It would be like a breakup gone bad, and I'm not going to let go of all my old stuff, so I'm just going to hang on to it. We're going to store it. We've got to find a place to keep all the old, but I don't necessarily want to miss out on the new, and we get caught in that tension of, I want the new, and I get the new, and I've got the new, but what am I going to do with the old? I can't find it in myself to totally get rid of the old, our old versus our new. What this shows us, and it's true in so many areas of our life, is that holding on to the old, it actually does something, because the old actually has quite a bit of power over and in our lives. Holding on to the old actually hinders us from receiving the new. And you can put in whatever words. I'm going to use a lot of those words of old and new, and you're going to have to start sifting through what old and new means for you, right? We're not talking about old and new stuff, right? We're talking about that old life and that new life. And holding on to the old will most definitely hinder us from receiving the new because we get to a point, we all get to the point where we say, I don't have any more what for the new, any more what? Well, I don't have any more room. I physically don't have any more room. Like our attic is full, our basement is full, our garage is full. We literally don't have any more room. And so we can hold on to the old for only so long until we get to that point where we say, I, I, I don't have room. So then we're really at that crossroads. And you might not be at that crossroads today. You might still be thinking, well, I'm fine holding on to the old. I can have both. I can have the old and the new. I'm like, oh, can you really? Because it's, it's not really new if you're still holding on to 
the old, holding on to the old will most certainly today, tomorrow, or at some point hinder you and myself from actually receiving whatever that new thing is. A prayer that I'm gonna encourage you to pray throughout this morning is simply, God, what old am I hanging on to? What old am I holding on to? And what new might you wanna do? Because that's what 2019, that's the new year, it's our first Sunday into the new year. So we have a lot of resolutions, don't we? We have a lot of goals that we set that we're maybe gonna keep for the month of January. Myself, my family, we do this every January. We're on the whole 30 again. So you get a cranky pastor for about 30 days because I don't get to eat what I wanna eat, right? We do things like that. We set up goals, we have resolutions. Why? Because we want this year to be far more better than last year. We look at 2018, we say, maybe it was terrible, maybe it was great, somewhat, maybe it was in, in between, but I want this year to be better. And so what do we do? We start to change things. We start to set those goals and those resolutions. But if we hold on to the old, we cannot receive that new. So God, what am I still holding on to? What old am I still holding? And God, what new might you want to do in this next year and in the years to come? Because before we launch into 2019, before we get all excited about the new things that God can, might, and probably will do in your life, we have to first figure out what to do with all this old. Because the old will most certainly hinder us from the new at some point. Like I said, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point, that old life is gonna get in the way of the new life that Jesus wants to give us. So that's what we're looking at, old versus new. What do we do with the old so that we'll be ready for the new when he begins to hand it and give it over to us? So we're gonna look at something that, that Jesus does, and it's a parable he gives, actually, that looks at this tension between old and new. So if you have your Bible, head over to Luke Luke chapter five, we see an interesting parable. And the parable's interesting because of the question that led to the parable. So I don't want us to miss that question. Luke chapter five, starting in verse 35. Here's the question that gets brought to Jesus's attention and then he's gonna answer them with a parable. Here's the question. It says, they said to him, and the they is just a bunch of people. Jesus and his disciples are walking around town. But you gotta understand, Jesus wasn't the only one with disciples. Disciples just means to follow a leader. In this case, following a rabbi or a teacher, a religious leader. But the Pharisees had disciples. The, the other religious leaders of Jesus' day had disciples. John the Baptist, he had disciples. A lot of people, a lot of leaders had followers and had disciples. Jesus wasn't unique in that. So this crowd, this group of people, they said to Jesus, well, John's disciples, talking about John the Baptist, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, talking to Jesus, but yours go on eating and drinking. Now, it's not phrased as a question, but it is a question. Well, theirs, they do this and they do that, but Jesus, why don't you and them? They're, they're separating Jesus from John the Baptist and the Pharisees and these other religious leaders. They see a difference. Oh, that's important. Maybe that's just all you needed to hear. There's a difference when we follow Jesus. People notice that there's a difference when we follow Jesus. And so these people aren't sure what to make of it. John the Baptist and his disciples are all doing this. The Pharisees and all their disciples are doing this, fasting and, and praying and, and all of these rituals. And Jesus, you and your disciples aren't doing any of these. And they, like I said, they didn't ask the why question, but that's what they're getting at. Why? Why the difference? And you have to understand that question is coming from probably a good place. It doesn't seem like they're trying to trick Jesus. They sincerely most likely want to know. 
Because growing up, especially in that time where, where Judaism was not just what you did on the Sabbath, it was, it was your life. And you lived and breathed by the law and following these rituals. And, and so now they see this religious leader, Jesus, not doing what they had grown up learning and being taught and even doing themselves. So it was a, a huge difference. This is something new. Jesus, what is happening? Why are you not doing what everybody else is, why is the new not matching up with the old? And so that's where Jesus gives them this parable. Here's the parable that he tells them as he tries to explain the, the tension between old and new. Verse 36, he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. If they do, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match, will not be the same, will not line up with the old. Verse 37, another example, another parable. It says, and people do not pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, no, no. New wine must be poured into new Wineskins. Now hold up there. Don't read ahead. Don't be an overachiever for a second. Do you see how he's describing old and new? He says, well, if you have a, a new garment and an old garment, your old one is tattered and your old one is worn and it needs some work on it. What, what do you not do? You don't take your new one, cut it up just to patch the old one. And he even explains why, not just because it's old and new, but it's not going to match. It's not going to work. The fabric's going to be different. It's going to be a mess. You would never cut up your new one to patch an old one. He says in the same way, you're not going to do that with wineskins either. You're not going to take new wine and put it in old wineskins, not just because it wouldn't taste good, but it's going to burst. Like physically, it would be a problem. You cannot put new wine into old wineskins. It'll burst and it says it'll run out and it'll, do you remember that word? It'll ruin it. It'll all be ruined. It says, you know, you, you can't have this old and new. You can't hold on to both. But look at what he says. He makes an observation, not just about the people that he's talking to directly, but I would say this is an observation just for us as humanity. Verse 39, he says, And none of you, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For you say, quote, the old is better. Oh, have we ever said that? The old is better. Or some translations will say, the old is just fine. The old is just fine. If I have the choice between old and holding on to the old and then getting and receiving something new, the new seems great, but you know what? I'm fine with the old. The old is just fine. So he never really answers their, their question the way that they would want. He said, you're talking the difference between something of old and something new. And, and the point of that parable is Jesus saying, I am new life, right? Up until this point, everybody lived by the law. Follow these laws and these rituals. Follow those and that will lead you to life. And Jesus is saying, there's something new, me. Jesus is saying, I am that something new. And you can't try to do both. And this has gotten way out of hand. If you were to keep reading through Luke chapter five and into Luke chapter six, you see how this will continue to play out and be a problem, the tension of old and new. You see a man who, who has a shriveled up hand and Jesus wants to heal him, but it's on the Sabbath. And there's a law that says you can't work on the Sabbath. There's a rule that says you can't work on the Sabbath. All the Pharisees and his disciples will say you can't do anything on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, that's the old, I'm new. I'm gonna heal his hand. 
So Jesus went against the old in that moment to prove a point. And then later on, that's actually where the beginnings of these grumblings of Jesus come into play. It says, after he restored this man's hand, this is Luke chapter six, it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Why? Because he was saying, I am new life. You can't hold on to the old and to me, he's saying. Once again, the old, when we hold on to the old, it hinders our receiving of the new. And his observation, Jesus' observation of that last statement, oh, but you say the old is just fine. Man, that hits home, doesn't it? Because we are enamored with new. We like the idea of new. We like to, to fantasize and think and dream, oh, that new thing or that new job or that new fill in the blank. We like the idea of new. But when it comes to that moment of, oh, I have to choose? You mean I can't have new and my old? You mean I've run out of room of storing all my old stuff? I can't have anything else new? Ooh, now what do we do? Even though we love the idea of new, we also love the familiarity of the old. And isn't it interesting that most of us, not all of us, I won't say across the board here, but I would say most of us, we are so familiar and comfortable with the old, we will choose the old even if it's not as good as the new. We'll choose the old just because we're used to it. We're okay holding on to the old instead of getting something new and better because, well, I know how this works. I, I know what this looks like. When you get something new, I'm not saying new is always better, but I'm saying when Jesus is saying there's an old way of living, an old way to life change, and Jesus is now saying, no, I am it. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. You've got to let go of the old if you're going to hang on to something new. So what is your old? You've got a name old, and I can't do that for you. I don't know what you have stored up in your attic and in your basement and in your garage, but you've got it there. I know that because statistically, we are all hoarders in some way. In fact, there's some great statistics on storage. Listen to this. The average American home has 300,000 items in it. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? 300,000 items in it. Start going through just one room and just every item start counting and you're gonna lose count really quick. One out of 10 Americans, one out of 10 rent offsite storage. So in other words, I have so much old that I don't have any more room for it. And so instead of getting rid of that old, what do I go do? I make more room for the old instead of more room for the new. One out of every 10 rent offsite storage. 25% of Americans have two car garages, or I'm sorry, 25% with two car garages, can you guess? Can't actually park in their two car garage. Now, I fall into this other category. 35% of people that have, that have the two-car garages, 35% actually can get one car in. That's me. Two-car garage, we can get one car in. Why? Because of all of these bins. Right now, I had to actually empty these bins to use them this morning, and all that stuff is laying around our house. Sorry, babe. <laughs> she woke up this morning to a mess. My bad. We just have to get rid of the old. We'll apply this to our lives. Here's the last stat for you. This is mind-blowing. It says there are five times as many storage facilities as there are Starbucks. Five times as many storage facilities as there are Starbucks. So it is in our nature to hold on to the old. But again, we're not talking old stuff. We're talking old life. So what is your old? If you want to take notes and you want to start writing something down, what is your old? Maybe it's old thinking. Maybe it's an old perspective. Maybe it's an old grudge. Oh, I won't talk too long on that. That's too convicting, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe it's an old relationship that is still being held on to. 
What is the old that you're still holding onto? Now, when we think of old, sometimes we think bad. Old is not always bad, right? There's a lot of old things that we hold onto that still hinder us, and they were good things. Maybe 2018 was an awesome year. Great. Do you know that that's difficult, just as difficult to move past than a terrible year? Why? Because, oh, we hold on to the good old days. Do you find yourself telling the same stories over and over and over? Why? Because, well, it, it can never get better than that. It was old, but man, it was so good. We just need to keep reliving that over and over, and we don't let go of it. I'm not saying forget about it. I'm saying we've got to move past it. So whether the old is something terrible, maybe it's something horrendous, maybe it was crisis, tragedy, hurt, heartbreak, addiction, all of those things would file under old, but there's good things that file under old as well. And the old, if we hold on to it, it hinders us from the new. Name your old. What do you have stored up in your bins in your life that I just, I'm not ready to let go of yet. I'm not ready to move past them yet. Whether 2018 and the years prior were terrible or whether 2018 and the years prior were, prior were, were wonderful. Regardless, to experience and move into something new, there's a commonality between the good years and the bad years and moving forward. You know what it is? Change. All, all things must change. If it was good, well, if you want to be better, guess what? It's got to change. If it was bad and you're hoping it gets better, well, guess what? It, it has to change. Both require change. Moving from old to new requires change. That's why Jesus said, go back to how Jesus summarized those people's feelings and, and I'd put us in that same category. Oh, but you say the old is just fine. Why? Because we don't want to change. We don't want to let go. We don't want to change. We often fear change. We, also, we often avoid change. But if we truly want to experience far more, not just in this year, and this isn't about getting your goals hit. This isn't about making more money. This is about growing into the, the man, the woman, the family, the child of God that you are. He wants to see you grow. We talked about disciples a second ago. That's discipleship is moving closer to Jesus. If you want to be far more, if you want in 2019 and the years to come to be far more than the other years, we have to experience change because you will not, we cannot experience far more if the old is just fine. If we're not willing to let go of this, if we're not willing to change some things, remember what we said for that old, maybe it's the old perspectives, it's old this, it's old that. If we're not willing to change some of those and let go of the old, say, no, you know what? It was, it was fine for a time, but it's not just fine anymore. If you want to experience far more, the commonality is going to be change. So that's the old. Right? And Jesus talked to the old, but then he also speaks to the new. What is your new? And if you're wanting to write these down, start, start just writing down some ideas. You probably already have a few. I don't even have to prompt you on a lot of these. What is something new you're hoping, you're praying happens this next year? Maybe it's mended relationships. Man, I'm hoping the relationships in 2019 are far more better than they were in years before. I want my marriage to be far more better than it was in years before. I want my kids, I want my parenting strategies, I want my job, I want my finance, you name it. What's the new that you're wanting? And maybe it's new reputation, maybe it's a new start, maybe it's fill in the blank. New new habits, new behaviors, new beliefs, new directions, new plans, new purpose. What is the new that you're hoping for, thinking of? Just in us talking briefly about it, it comes to mind. 
What is the new that you're hoping for? We've named some of the old, but what is the new that you're now hoping for? I've got a homework assignment for you. Let me, Beth, if you go ahead and put this up on the screen. Take a picture of it. I'll post it a little bit later if you want. I don't know if you have time to write them all down. Here's a suggestion. Uh, Becky and I do this quite a bit in, in our marriage, in our life, is ask this question or at least this phrase, and then systematically go through your different relationships. This covers most of your relationships. What would far more look like in each of these relationships? This is just brainstorming. I'm not promising that that's gonna happen, right? This is not a prayer. This is a homework assignment. This is an exercise. So your relationship with God, what would far more look like with you and God and your relationship with God? Just saying far more. God, I wanna grow with you. What does that really look like? We say that. God, I wanna be closer to you in this next year. Well, what does that really mean? What does that look like? What does that feel like comparing the old to the new? What about yourself? That's a lot of our 2019 goals, isn't it? It revolves around health and exercise and healthy eating, Whole30, all those types of things. So what would that look like? Your relationship with you as a healthy individual, what does new look like there? Marriage, what does that new marriage look like? That doesn't mean you're getting a new partner in marriage. Do I need to specify and explain that? No, you can have a new marriage with the same person. In fact, many of us need to have that. Many of you need that where it's, okay, it's the same people, but man, our marriage is radically new. It's radically different. The way that we treated each other before is different now. How we talk to and about each other, the old ways that we did that is not the same now. What kind of new marriage with the same person do you want to have? I don't want to get emails. Pastor said I had to go get a new wife this next week. Yeah, not true. So don't edit out my words there. All right, family. What about family? What does a new family look like? New parenting, new kids. That one you can trade in. That one I believe might be worth trading in some. No. What does it look like? What does that new family look like? New routines in your family, new rhythms in your family, new purpose for your family, new direction, new plans for your family, friends. Maybe you do need some new friends. But what does it look like in those relationships? Go through with community, the, the neighborhood that you live, the community that you live in. What does it look like for you to be in that community, not the way that you used to, but and what does that look like as you relate to your community now? Work, maybe it is new work. Maybe it's just work in general. Maybe it's a new perspective on how you work. Maybe it's a new relationship with how you interact with your boss or your employees. Maybe it's a new driven purpose of how you get up and then go to work. What is the new you would love to see happen in work? Church. What is the new that you'd love to see happen in church, in your church? This is not my church. I have the privilege and the honor of leading and pastoring you as this church, but you are this church. What do you want this to be? What do you want it to become? What is your part in that? What does your part need to be? What's the new? Well, that's not the way we used to do it though, Brian. Yeah, I know. That's why we're talking about change. What's new look like in your relationship with church, your finances? That's why we're launching FPU, Financial Peace University. It's not a hook to get you to be able to give more. It's so that you can have a new life with the money that God has already given you. It's not making more money. It's being smarter and doing something new. It's the change. That's the middle piece here. Between old and new, something has to change. If you don't love where your finances are or if you love it but you want it to get better, something has to change. The problem is we don't usually know what needs to change. So we use some resources and we experience something new in our finances. And of course, don't forget your enemies. I'm sure there's somebody that doesn't like you. And I have a feeling there's probably some people that you don't like. But how do we interact with them? I'm not saying the goal is, oh, now we're best friends and we get along. But maybe how we interact with them is different. Maybe how we pray for them is different. No, that's a radical thought. 
Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, to love everybody, but especially our enemies. How is your relationship even with your enemies? If we name our old and we begin to name our new, what we start to see is this gap. That gap is called change. We have to be willing to let go of the old, stop holding on to the old. That doesn't mean we forget about it. This is not forgive, forget, get it out. It's, no, I'm aware of it, but I'm just not holding on to it anymore. See, our past is actually pretty beneficial. It has brought us to this point here today. It's grown you and developed you into who you are, good, bad, or indifferent. It's part of us. I'm not saying forget it. I'm just saying let's not hold on to it anymore. Let's be willing to see some change so that we can experience something new. We have to be willing to let go of old so that we can receive something new. So where do we start? We said the middle gap is change, right? We can identify the old. We can start to begin to identify the new. And I hope you take me serious on that homework assignment, especially as couples, you and your spouse. That is a fun exercise to do together. Take a date night, go out. Once the kids go to bed, sit at the dining room table, drink some coffee or something, and just say, man, what if? It allows you to dream of what if. What if God did something new in our life in each of these 10 areas? What might be different this year? You don't have to figure out the how question. We're getting ready to answer that one. You don't have to figure out the how. Just what might happen? What could new look like? But like we said, the gap is change. Something has to change. If we keep doing what we've always done, guess what? The old will be just like the new. The, we're still holding on to the old. And again, that's what Jesus' point was. If you go back and look, he says, no, but none of you after drinking old wine wants the new. So after I've experienced the old, no, it's good enough for me. We're not willing to change. And that's what Jesus was pointing at. You're not willing to change even if new is better we still hold on to the old for the familiarity and well that's how we were raised that's how I grew up that's the way we've always done it I don't think I I could we have our excuses on why we store the old in our lives and we're not willing to change but we must be willing to experience that change so how do we do that where do we start Paul talks about how we begin to experience that change he says it 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, where he starts in verse 14. Here's how to begin to make room for that new. We're going to run out of room, whether today, tomorrow, or eventually, of the old holding us back. Here's how we begin to make room for the new. Paul says this. He says, either way, Christ's love controls us. That alone is, is an astounding statement. Either way, it doesn't really matter. Regardless, Christ's love, look, it controls us. It's everything in us, the way that we act. And each of those relationships is because of Christ's love. So either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died. Look at this, to our, what's it say here? Our old life. Not we have gotten rid of it, not we don't think about it. It's, no, 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 we have died to this old life. Why? Because of Christ's love. Verse 15, he goes on to explain why we have died to our old life. He said, he died for everyone so that those who receive, and say it with me, his what? New life. We died to our old life. Well, because of his death, his crucifixion, we now get the opportunity. We reap the benefits. We receive his new life. 
and will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a merely human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. In other words, this is bigger than we ever anticipated. When we traded in our old life for our new life, it was beyond what we would ever think or imagine. New was far more than we ever could even anticipate. Verse 17, this means, he sums it all up. This means that anyone, anyone, that's me, that's you, that's to the people he's writing to. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Strong words. Talking about how Christ's love controls us and how we died to our old life so that we can have a new life because of Jesus. That's it. I mean, that sounds like it's oversimplified. It sounds like, well, yeah, I kind of expected to hear that Jesus is it in church. Well, I don't have another answer for you. We talked about that gap being changed. We recognize our old. We come in to dream, hope, and pray for the new. But Jesus is the change. When we invite Jesus into our life, what did he say here? Paul said that anyone who belongs to Christ... In Galatians, he said a little bit different to the people there, to the early church of Galatia. He said that I've crucified myself with Christ and it's not me who's living, but he says, but it's Christ living in me. In other words, it's not me anymore, it's Christ in me. Anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone that has Christ in them, the old is gone, the old life is gone and the new life is here. That's a strong statement. And here's what I'm hoping you catch out of all of this. We have great intentions of why we hold on to the old. Great intentions. Great excuses. Well, maybe it was better. Maybe it, it's easier to, to walk through. Sometimes we, we look at these and we think we're, we truly are hindered or limited because of our past. You have to understand that because of Jesus in your life, by yourself, sure, totally holding on to the past, but because of Jesus, what did Paul just say? The old life is gone. The new life is here. Jesus is that change. He is it. And if you really want far more out of your life this next year and for years to come, it begins with Jesus. It begins with having far more of him in your life. If you want far more out of your life, then you've got to move from this old to this new, and that is unbelievably hard to do. That is so much easier said than done. I would almost say that's almost impossible to do on your own because this old, man, there's some baggage there. It's difficult. It's hard. I'm not asking you to move from old to new by yourself. Absolutely not. I'm saying move from old to new because of what Jesus has done. Remember, it was his death that gives us new life. It's not anything that we do. So if you want far more out of life, you have to have far more Jesus in your life first. Christ in you. That's what Paul said. You have to belong to Christ. And anyone has that opportunity. Anyone can experience that in their life. So I hope you have some great hopes and some great dreams and some great resolutions and some great goals for 2019. I think it's healthy. I think it's a good idea. Don't get down on yourself when you don't do any of them. That's all right. What I'm really hoping, though, is that you allow Jesus to do the work in you. Resolutions are great, and it requires a lot of discipline. Like I said, I think it's a healthy thing, but it's all on us to do those, isn't it? It's on me to put those systems and those disciplines in place. I'm talking about life, not healthier eating habits. 
I'm saying we have an old life and we have a new life that Jesus wants to give us. You cannot get there on your own. Don't even try to get there on your own. When we are in Jesus, when we belong to him, the old life is gone and the new life is here. We experience new life because of Jesus in our lives. So we probably have half the equation. New year and we have a bunch of New Year's resolutions. Don't miss Jesus in there. You want far more out of it? Make sure you have far more of Jesus in your life. Well, what does that look like, Brian? It's for you to figure out. That's part of the journey, isn't it? I'm not going to give you a list of, well, read your Bible this many hours and pray this many hours and be at church this many times. That feels like the old way that Jesus was talking to, doesn't it? Oh, but they fast and they pray. Jesus, why don't you do all of that? He said, I'm not saying they're bad things. I'm just saying I'm it. So don't even worry about putting Jesus on a to-do list. Make him it. You will experience more life change the more you have Jesus in your own life. Let me leave you with one last passage here. And if you think between your old and your new and, and the new that you would hope and dream for, have that in your mind while I read this. Paul writes to the early church at Ephesus. He says, Now to him, Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than anything that we could ask or imagine. So all of the things you're hoping for, all the things you're dreaming for, all the things that you're praying for, Paul's telling us here that, well, guess what? Jesus is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably and immeasurably more than anything that we could come up with. But it's according to his power that is at work within us. It's the change in us first. And to him be all the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Whatever new you're hoping and wishing for, it begins with Jesus. No matter what the old is, no matter how great or how terrible, Jesus is what leads us to new life. So in just a moment, the band's going to come. We're going to sing one last song. And I want to give you a challenge as well. It's a new year, so in some ways we feel like we get a fresh start. So if you're new, let me explain uh, what you're going to see out in the lobby. If you've been here before, you may or may not have noticed it. When you walked into the lobby, there's a wall that has a bunch of these cards on it. And usually when you walk in here on a Sunday, you see a bunch of them flipped around and turned around, seeming like in random order. But you'll notice today they are all faced this direction. The other side of it simply says, my life changed. So whether that's today of you saying, hey, I've been holding on to old for too long. I'm ready for something new. I want you to walk out there after service is over and just simply flip one of those cards around. It's on a little clothespin. Flip it around so it faces this way. Maybe that doesn't happen today. Maybe something happens in your marriage this month or maybe through FPU. I want you and your spouse to walk in here together. I want you to go straight to that wall and I want you to flip a card around together. Maybe something new begins to happen in the workplace or just in, your, in how you perceive other people, how you treat other people. When those moments happen, it can happen more than once, by the way. This isn't like, oh, I flipped my card. I'm good for 2019. <laughs> no, when God does something new in your life and it's new because he's changing in you, walk over to that wall and you flip a card around. And no one's going to know it was you except you and Jesus. And may it be a constant re reminder that our lives will continue to change. And if we allow it to change with Jesus at the center of it, it leads to new life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the life that you have given us. 
And I use that word given because that's very intentional because that's exactly what you've done. You have given us new life. It's nothing that we fabricate. It's nothing that we can do on our own. It's nowhere we can drive on our own by our own will, by our own power, by our own means. But because of your death and your resurrection, we experience new life when we say yes to you. So Jesus, the old is just that. It's old. And it served a purpose. And it got us to where we are, but God, it will not take us to where you want us to go. So may we not forget the old, but yes, may we, may we let it go. May the past stay exactly where it needs to be in our past. And may the days to come be filled with you as we get far more out of our life, but that only happens when we have far more of you in our life. So Jesus, in all of our resolutions and all of our hopes and goals for this next year, the very foundation of every single one of those is more of you in our lives. May we walk close to you. May we follow you. And may we never be caught saying, the old is just fine. Give us new life this new year. In Jesus' name, amen.